electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. We're coming off three S&P weekly gains. Record Dow close on Friday. Futures pretty steady as we brace for the real surge of earnings. 150 S&P names this week, along with GDP, core PCE, Oil hits 85 this morning. Our roadmap begins with the big week for tech. Facebook, Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple among those set to report, as well as a third of the Dow stocks uh, all this week. Plus, we do have Facebook fallout continuing. Documents revealing internal fury and dissent over the social media network's policies, but so far a muted impact for the stock. And PayPal pops while Pinterest shares plunge. The payments giant says it is not looking to buy the social media platform, at least not right now. Start off with a discussion of where we are in earnings season so far. We're about uh, maybe 25% of the way through uh, the season. And despite some of the hand-wringing going in uh, to the overall season, got 79% beating on earnings on the top line, uh, 72, actually 72 top line, 79 on the bottom line, um, by probably a bigger margin than we expected yes. ahead of the first prints. Bigger than expected, um, not, as, not as great as the prior few quarters, which is probably a record margin of, uh, of outperformance. So good enough, certainly, to keep the market moving in the, in the right direction. Potholes definitely along the way. Interesting, you know, Snap, IBM, you can name the ones that really uh, left a mark, but it was not necessarily something that, uh, that had a lot of, uh, you know, kind of aftershocks to, to the rest of the market for now. I think everyone's on board with the idea that uh, good enough uh, earnings this time. We'll see if the estimates come up enough for next year to, to really keep the uh, the, the chain's moving. I think that's the big question. And everyone's on board with the idea that, you know, we're in the, the sweet spot for the uh, calendar for stocks. Are too many people already positioned that way? That's going to be the question as we made this, you know, round trip marginal new highs in the S&P. Right. Is tech still the most vulnerable part of the market? Um, I guess you could say, I don't know tech broadly speaking, because I do think you've already had people on guard right now. Right? We, we, after Snap, I mean, Facebook and everything going on there, you wonder if, in fact, there's room for upside surprise. Amazon shares have been awful on a relative basis. And so I don't think that there's a lot of pent-up high expectations in them. Uh, but uh, it, it, to me, it seems like the supply chain leverage stuff is more vulnerable. But again, we're kind of already feeling for it. Uh, Kim- Kimberly Clark, right? Another one of these consumer staples companies can't quite manage to protect margins to 100% uh, that they'd like to. But a small decline in the stock, not necessarily a big hit. Uh, we do have an awful lot of market cap reporting earnings yeah. this week. I mean, this is the big one with Apple, Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, and Microsoft all coming. Of course, Facebook after the close. We'll see what the iOS change from Apple has meant for Facebook. Of course, we uh, referenced Snap's price the other day. Um, that also plays in, and we'll talk a bit more about that momentarily, into Pinterest perhaps as well in terms of their future earnings. But, you know, Mike, I remember that last quarter because it was so stunning in terms of the top-line numbers at so many of these companies, Alexa, which, frankly, we'd rarely, if ever, seen, at least 
in companies that have been around as long as these yeah. have. Uh, it's not going to repeat. And yet there was, a, I wouldn't say a muted response, but it wasn't as though the stocks went uh, went parabolic after no. those incredible numbers. Not at all. No, earnings season itself was not really when the market made the most progress. I think there's always a little bit of, uh, you know, a kind of push-pull under the surface. Uh, the top line growth, is, it's kind of amazing. I mean, you know, even though the third quarter GDP may have been, uh, you know, by the Atlanta Fed estimate, you know, close to zero, other estimates are much higher. We've been running at a 10% nominal growth economy at parts of this year, and that's not something that, you know, analysts have ever really modeled uh, in, their, in their careers. And so we're still in that mode where there's just enough to go around. I think it's also why the market in general has been able to deal with the fact that inflation expectations have gotten some lift. And you know, if you look at the bond market where five and 10 year inflation looks like it, it is, uh, it's because growth is coming through and it's not sort of choking off the growth story. It's accompanying the growth story. Yeah. And to your point about the market sort of handling the issue of supply chain pressure, uh, Goldman last night, David Costin in the last two weeks, both consumer goods and stocks with China supply chains have outperformed yeah. the S&P. He also points to some of the China shipping rates coming off of the September highs, as he puts it, tentative signs of improvement, yeah. uh, which is certainly what we should hope for. Absolutely. And you know, we're, arguably, we're getting a little bit past when, like, if anything was going to be coming for holiday, it should be there already. Uh, I think the big question, though, is, is spending just going to sh- be shifting over to services. That's why everyone's watching the travel booking numbers and you know the restaurant reservation stuff. This idea that you know t- 2022 is going to be much more uh, go do stuff, don't go, don't go buy stuff. And that in itself should relieve some of the pressure. Yeah, I think it was Pantheon Macro last night as well said, look, if you get the shift back into services from goods, we're overspending on goods, and you get some capacity uh, increases as companies invest maybe a bit, I mean... Could you be looking at outright price declines in the middle of next year? Yeah. Certainly, that's, that's Yellen's view from what you said over the weekend. That's a version of it, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that would, that would absolutely be a surprise relative to consensus right now. It also is the formula for ongoing productivity gains, which is also your kind of good news offset, in theory, longer term to, to this inflationary uh, mini-crisis we have right now. Definitely not Jack Dorsey's view, though, That's right. apparently. Um, although, guys, you know, Intel, I mean, you mentioned Snap Intel yeah. also. That That's worth mentioning. That was a yeah. nasty uh, uh, quarter. Absolutely. Or and, and or guidance. And yet the least. rest of the semi-group didn't, didn't no. suffer. So it is being viewed as a little bit of a one-off. I mean, IBM yeah. was nasty, but that's not directly no. relevant to a lot of the rest of the industry. And so, look, we, we, as you said, we have a tremendous amount, 30% of the market cap or whatever the S&P of reporting this week. You theoretically could have a critical mass of big misses that, you know, that, that actually causes an excuse for a broader pullback. I just haven't seen it yet. Meanwhile, you saw, yeah, you saw Dorsey there. I don't know. I don't know what he's seeing, Carl. Well, I'm not I mean, sure what, what, what inputs he's dealing with that, are make, that forced him or made him feel as though I need to tweet about hyperinflation. Well, maybe it's the percentage of his wealth that he personally has invested in crypto. Uh, that's, that'd be one thing. I think you've got to look at Kathy Wood's rebuttal. Uh, she responds with a, a long thread of her own, talking about how the velocity of money has not taken off. The costs of innovation like AI are plummeting. And her overall view that you got a lot of companies that underinvested over the years. They're going to be selling, in her words, obsolete products right. over time for less money, i.e. deflation. Yes, uh, that has been Kathy's view for quite some time. As a matter of fact, when the prevailing fear was deflation, um, she was also out there saying, no, 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 it's deflation, but only because it's a technology step function revolution and happened in the late 19th century. And she's kind of 
She, she basically goes back to the same dynamics all around, which is that the transformation of the economy through uh, these kind of innovative things are kind of inherently deflationary uh, and yet also, you know, create more value down the road. So that's obviously the big upbeat mega bull case uh, for how the economy can, uh, can, can kind of revive itself. We'll see if, if it, you know, it doesn't feel that way in the process. <laughs> it's a pretty tough transition sometimes. Yeah. Well, she's not even pointing to demography and no. population growth and working workforce right. growth, yeah. uh, which that's a global picture that yeah. is not an inflationary thesis. And also fun that, um, you know, part of the, that, that thesis, Tesla has always fit into that story of, of kind of deflationary transformation, innovation, and yet they're raising prices today. So they will if they can, uh, you know, and then obviously they don't have a demand problem. I mean, Dorsey doesn't have to worry. He's worth, what, 14 bill at least. Much of it in Square, don't forget. And yep. we talk so often about Twitter, but really Square is where so much value has been created given the performance of that stock price over time. He follows his own path, so I have no idea where Jack is, what exactly it is he's seeing or buying that perhaps has put him in mind that hyperinflation look, is a lot here. of people look at those charts of the money supply and the fact that it's gone vertical because of what the Fed has been doing, and they think that that means inflation. Or they think that that means there's, you know, 50% of all dollars have been created in the last whatever couple right. of years. Whatever those stories are, it just doesn't matter for prices, really, unless it matters. You know, it's not like it's making its way into people buying uh, stuff off the sh- store shelves. Right. So uh, we're going to watch it, obviously, uh, a long standing debate we're having with about inflation. Meantime, Facebook's going to be the story. They report tonight under fire, making headlines today regarding some more leaked internal documents. Reports say they indicate that employees of the social network expressed anger about Facebook's policies on handling misinformation, including when it came to 2020 and the election and January 6th. Um, there's separate uh, stashes of documents that have been looked at by Bloomberg today, uh, a March internal document that found uh, that they're losing engagement, not just with millennials, but with Gen X, right. which is going to be the story tonight. What, what happens with engagement? Exactly. What happens with engagement? What happens with ad measurement and targeting and all the other things that are happening you know, in the industry and, and in their direct market that are not about you know, policing content and, 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 you know, the impact of its, uh, of that content on people. So it is rough. I mean, it's amazing because the stock had this incredible run where a lot of these issues were also front and center uh, up into a month or two ago. And it was mostly because people said, well, the value, I mean, it just can't help but just spit out all this uh, huge margin profits and everything else. And now it's at this interesting discount. Uh, trading at a discount to the S&P 500, probably its widest valuation spread ever to Google, um, you know, with, with obviously Alphabet being the more highly valued one. So it, you wonder what's already, what's already built in here, um, because sometimes even though they ramp up their costs to deal with all these issues, right. Sometimes you just look at it and say, well, look at look at their revenue per user and look at it just. Listen, I mean, Mike, every every you know, when you when you talk dollars and cents, so to speak, or P.E., everybody comes back to the same basic theme, which is this stock, given given the company's growth rate, both top and bottom line is inexpensive, uh, period. And that will be their their justification for potentially purchasing it. But any real hit to that, I guess, would be the key question sure. here, as opposed to all the other things that what we'll be focused on. How bad is the impact from the iOS change in terms of their ability to monetize? Yeah. Um, and, you know, anything that looks like structurally a change to the profit setup, right. you know, where it's just not 
really getting as much traction. That, that probably they matters. do trot out that we spend 13 billion and 40,000 people. Yeah. They've done that a number of times. Nick Clegg has done that on all the talk shows in the morning. I guess they have another uh, uh, statement out to that to that uh, effect as well. In terms, and of that's something that you know I, I feel like for years you've been able to point out and say this is a company that really wants to convey how much it's spending and almost wants to obscure how effortlessly profitable it is. And it doesn't really have incentives to point out just how great the business is. You wonder if that matters because sometimes it's just been that good and it hasn't, you know, impacted investors' view of it. Um, you know, but right now, I mean, clearly their list of priorities doesn't start with, you know, maximize quarterly profits. Right. Well, we're going to find out whether or not a priority is, is marketing and a name change. Yeah. Certainly, uh, they've been more aggressive about getting in front of reports with that thread about uh, upcoming uh, journalistic efforts on Friday. You mentioned Google, by the way. Morgan Stanley removes it from the fresh money list. After the SNAP guidance, uh, they say while some of this might have been specific to SNAP's business model, uh, Google's been a top performer, uh, leaving less relative upside. Right. And that's a fair point. I mean, it has been by far the best performer of uh, of the mega cap tech group. People feel like it's it's, it's insulated uh, from a lot of the specific uh, issues there. But, uh, you know, it's hardly a a real indictment of, of the stock of the business. It's just saying... You know, the market gets it at this point. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's a fair point. You also could make that point probably about Microsoft. Uh, that's also been the case for a very long time, that it's, it looks rich, but it has for a while, and it keeps executing well and substantiating that, that premium. Yeah, both JPM and Cowan uh, reiterate, or sorry, Evercore reiterate Microsoft outperformed today, even in the face of this uh, blog post from Microsoft about having to yeah. warn more companies about, Russian agencies trying to hack. They did say that some of the efforts from the White House are having some meaningful impact on managing these events, but we're not going to stop having them by any means. No, it's a new pace, apparently, of, uh, of attacks. Much, many of them fairly unsophisticated, sort of trying to steal passwords and or phishing. Not necessarily the highest level of sophistication, but, uh, but a torrent of it. And, of course, putting into mind the Solar Winds hack, which did uh, have serious... Yeah ramifications uh, for a lot of different companies. We'll take a break here. Uh, Future's pretty steady as we uh, get ready for, uh, as we said, not just a lot of earnings, uh, Microsoft, Boeing, Caterpillar, Apple, GM this week, uh, but a lot of macro data. All the major averages, though, are are higher for the month. S&P still on pace for the best month since November of last year. We're back after a break. Every day, Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. 
You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Keeping on shares of uh, Pinterest and PayPal this morning, you can see moving in opposite directions. Pinterest down as much as uh, 14% perhaps when we get started with trading about 13 minutes from now. Uh, PayPal saying, you know what? Uh, in response to market rumors regarding a potential acquisition of Pinterest by PayPal, we're uh, not pursuing acquisition of Pinterest at this time. Pretty simple statement. Uh, of course, there were numerous press reports uh, last week indicating that the two companies were fairly close to a potential deal uh, under which uh, PayPal would pay as much as $70 a share, all in stock, to acquire a Pinterest. PayPal stock price did suffer. Uh, after those reports first came out, kind of day after day. And then also you had that news from Snap on Friday. Now, listen, if they were as far along as uh, reports indicated, you would expect that PayPal perhaps would have had a sense as to Pinterest future earnings, or at least current quarter. Um, And that may have even been one reason why Pinterest was motivated to enter into talks to begin with. That said, what we saw from Snap, what PayPal was seeing from its own shareholder base in terms of its response to these uh, reports, Mike, may have motivated them to back off for now. Listen, I, I, I didn't report anything. Uh, by the way, for you reporters, other rep- younger reporters out there, given I've been doing m reporting forever, uh, it's no fun, man. It's hard. Uh, even when you're right, you can end up yeah. being wrong, and everybody hates you because sure. you got everybody in the stock. And by the way, now it's working if you're an ARB, you were long Pinterest and short PayPal. Today is a painful day for you. It is for sure. What is interesting to me, though, is that PayPal was at 270 before the deal news came out, before the first reports. It's only going to bounce up to the low 250s today. It was $308 stock three months ago. So aside from the merits or, or demerits of the deal as it was reported or anything else, there is now this sense out there that PayPal's Searching for something, searching for the next thing, searching for some kind of traction in e-commerce, uh, some you know some other way to distinguish its payments platforms, and so that's an interesting part of the story from here on out. Uh, Pins is going to open. Uh, let's see, below its Thursday open of uh, fifty-three, yep. we're now at forty-nine. Maybe some of that's the snap effect rubbing off. But when uh, we had the Microsoft dalliance reported right back in March, and now this, I mean. To say they're being left at the altar repeatedly might be a stretch. Yes. But it does make you wonder about what's going on with pins and their model. It does. Uh, and, and in part, they're right. Their willingness to even consider engaging, given the, the belief that they're a high-growth company, typically that's not behavior you would expect from a company that's putting up serious right. uh, growth numbers on the top line. We'll know, I think, the reporting on the 4th of November is what I've got down here. Uh, so we should know fairly soon. But based, of course, on what we heard from Snap, we'll see what we get from Facebook. They are certainly lumped in, as you indicate, Carl, with that group. Uh, again, PayPal probably had a sense for that in terms of any negotiations that had already taken place. Personally, I have not reported on this, so I'm only relying on others reporting. Right. And you know, I also do wonder, I mean, obviously it would impact everybody with iOS changes, but if Pinterest would really be on the front lines of how that's going to be most impacted, you're talking about the whole selling point of Pinterest as, a, as an asset was also people going there with intent to buy, and that's kind of part of the whole uh, the social uh, experience is, is kind of 
you know, planning something or buying something uh, down the road or renovating a house or whatever. So um, it is interesting. It's a huge pool of users. It's for under $40 billion. There's not a lot of those out there. If they indeed are a motivated seller, I don't know where they end up. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if uh, PayPal has more to say about it in the days to come. Uh, one more look here at futures as we are about uh, nine minutes ahead of the opening bell on this Monday morning and ahead of a very busy week. Don't go away. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Seven minutes before the bell, taking a look at this morning's pre-market leaders. Heading into the start, we told you about PayPal, up about 6%. Tesla uh, looking uh, to make a new all-time high, uh, up 4.4%, 9.50. Several upbeat news items on Tesla today. APA, Micron, uh, and Occidental rounding out the uh, top five. Opening bell, just minutes away. Mike mentioned a couple of moments ago, Tesla looks to open it at all-time high today. It's already up uh, about 8% in the last week, 40% in the last three months. You got two bits of news today. One is Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas uh, reiterates overweight, goes from 900 to 1,200 following uh, their better-than-expected Q3 results. And then Hertz, a few months out of bankruptcy, uh, says it's going to order 100,000 Teslas and develop its own charger network, and you'll be able to get a Model 3 at airports uh, in major U.S. markets and across Europe. And even another news item that was out that I guess that the uh, Model 3 was the best-selling car in Europe last month, perhaps, or maybe year-to-date, um, best-selling model. Um, so basically, it's, it all kind of and comes together as the stuff that Tesla bulls always expected would happen seems to be happening slightly more quickly than, than maybe we anticipated. The quarter that they reported was a good one, but not particularly surprising in terms of volumes. Good, you know, on, on the margin side. But now it's much more about the big picture march to wherever it's going to go. It's already, you know, I think the fifth biggest market cap in the S&P, 2% of the index. Um, it hit 900 in January. I think that's kind of something people forget. It had this huge run and then uh, chopped around down below 700, 600 for a while. And on an incredible ramp here, uh, yet again, you can't, you can talk valuation, yeah. you can talk whatever you want. Uh, it's just the news flow is working in the direction of the side of this market that's most energized, which is the, it's going to the moon side. And the options flows and all the other stuff that fits together with that. Speaking of energized, there was one more piece of news this morning in the journal about Panasonic, uh, which says it's mostly solved the technology challenges with a larger lithium ion battery that Musk has called the uh, lower cost way to power, power an electric car. You go longer on less. So yeah. uh, there's even that, which would certainly be yet another potential positive. Yeah, I think battery cost kind of coming down uh, was obviously it's been a huge piece of the story, but actually was one of the elements people assume was why they were able to have better margins in the past quarter. So uh, that trend, too. You know, so, you know, as for Hertz, interesting little gambit. You want to try to distinguish yourself from from the competition. Um, but, you know, historically, fleet sales have been, you know, kind of a crutch for car makers. This doesn't seem to be in that uh, it, quite in that category because they used to just kind of dump things 
uh, dump cars at a discount to make their volume numbers and keep the factories running right. uh, back in the day, and it often would come back to bite them. Yeah. That's not so right. you, ha- you don't have to bring it back full, though. Can you bring it back on, like, I a think, hard I think, I think there's a question about that. Or, like, how do you, like, make sure you, char- you know. They're going to charge you. Charge you if you're undercharged? Because that's time for them, right? They can't turn that car around. Right it away. doesn't take that long, does it? <laughs> for it to, yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, Jonas points out that um, his new 1200 target implies a growth rate of 28, which is about half the company's uh, target. Uh, uh, so to, for those who argue that Jonas is a little over his skis, right. he says, I'm baking in a lot of the supply chain troubles. Sure. Yeah, yeah fair enough. I mean, um, and, and also the way Tesla seems to be better positioned for those supply chain issues. So that's the idea, too. Market share can help. Let's get the opening bell here and get things going, uh, get this busy week underway. At the big board today, it's AT&T celebrating its 120th listing anniversary at the NASDAQ video rental and streaming service Redbox celebrating its listing via SPAC. We did have a couple of notes out today. KMB was one that Mike mentioned. Uh, 162 was a miss. Uh, revenues up four was slightly ahead, but they do cut the guide. Uh, they now see 605 to 625. Prior was 665 to 690. As these consumer products companies, uh, it depends on who you talk to. Pepsi managing it somewhat better than it appears KMB is. Yes, I think um, beverages is an area that has not been as impacted as much. And, um, you know, even, even Procter & Gamble, for pretty much they, they checked off all the boxes. They seem to execute very well. They're still not going to be able to completely stay free of, of the cost pressure. So it's been a tough group. I mean, Staples is really underperformed. And without little spurts and things like, um, you know, Walmart and Costco, as a sector, it has been under some pressure. But, uh, you know, pretty much, I would say, low expectations already. I mean, it, you know, KMB was down almost 10 percent from its highs as it was. So it's going to be a continuing story. I do think now the next phase is when when are we clear of it? You have every you know, big company in the world and all their logistics experts trying to sort it out. But uh, they, the, the good news is cons- consumers seem to be completely attuned to paying full price. Whether they like it or not, it's happened. Yeah, no discounts this Christmas. And that's another sort of story as we head into the buying season there. Buy early and don't expect to see any bargains given the, the uh, potential shortage of goods yeah. and or at least uh, there's not going to be a plethora. Uh, it's going to be tough. Of course, oil is a huge input for companies like KMB. And we did mention Brent, uh, 86 and change. WTI got to 85 for the first time since 2014. Uh, Goldman with a note out today saying that if you look at the lower energy intensity uh, in developed markets, we use less oil as a fraction of our uh, GDP and higher incomes in uh, in emerging markets. They think the market can withstand Brent at 110 before we start to really get uh demand destruction. JPM has sort of pointed to that as well. It's Oil is not the way it was seven right. years ago or in the 70s. Yeah, that's a, I mean, a completely fair point. I keep pointing out that, you know, WTI was above 80 for four years from 2010 to 2014. It was a slow recovery. Uh, didn't seem like a ton of demand destruction there, even though it was a pinch. And, you know, the, the GDP of the world is bigger and incomes are high. So, I mean, that's a that's a good news piece of it. Um, it isn't necessarily something that you'd love to see, and it's palatable, and obviously you can overshoot, uh, but it, it's working together with a lot of these other commodity moves. Like, but in, in words, that period, like Mike, I do think that there was probably a lot of production added from the Permian Absolutely. in particular. Yes. Whereas right now, at least, we've yet to get there. I mean, there may be some smaller players who are putting, devoting a bit of capital, but as we pointed out many times, yeah. many of the biggest companies 
A, are certainly choosing to divert more capital to their ESG efforts and, and their carbon neutral efforts, if you want to call it that, and B, are returning it to shareholders. For sure. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I almost wonder, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of uh, one OPEC plus head, headline away from, you know, uh, you having a little bit of a gut check for oil. I mean, because that seems to be where we are again, as opposed to just assuming that, you know, in North America, we're turning um, high yield bonds into oil the way we were, yeah. you know, 10 years ago. It's not happening. By the way, uh, oil's on pace for nine weekly gains, uh, on pace for its best month since February. Uh, on the other side, nat gas is down three weeks. Yeah. Um, we're in a bit of a shoulder season, but everyone's crossing their fingers that winter's not going to be too cold. Right. And it, it is a lot more sensitive to the very, very real time, you know, usage and storage and whatever else uh, goes on. You know, there was a lot of attention paid last week to uh, kind of a crash in Chinese thermal coal prices. And I wonder if people are starting to figure out, well, if China kind of set off this last phase of global energy uh, rally because they were saying, telling people to buy up as much as they can and secure for the winter. So, yes, it's coal. It's not oil. Yeah. But anything that hints at their fill, their fall in China would also work against this rally as it is uh, getting a little but bit. China stretched. is the marginal buyer. I mean, they have uh, when it comes to LNG in particular, they are the reason in part that the Europeans are paying such incredibly high prices. Right. Uh, they've increased their LNG uh, imports by 28 percent annually for the last six years. And so the Chinese are one of the key reasons why natural gas prices, forget looking at it over here, really where it yeah. becomes even more of a, of a story is Europe. We've talked about it. And if they were to have a very cold winter in Europe, that could be, uh, I mean, almost cataclysmic in terms of what it's going to mean for their ability to provide power uh, and a lot of other things, yeah. given the wind stopped blowing in the North Sea, apparently. <laughs> right. Um, which is an issue. Yeah, exactly. Um, guys, I, we got to come to, we got to get to the, uh, the Trump's back uh, day three here of trading. Uh, Digital World Acquisition Corp. Yep, this is back on the street. DWAC, you can see it. It's up another 15%. I may have it halted right now. Uh, it's unclear. I got a little P in front of it, Mike. I think that means it might be, uh, might be uh, halted for yeah. an imbalance. Um, I mean, what can you say about this? Listen, you know, uh, it's right now. There's not a company here that we're talking about. It's it's essentially a, a press release that was written about a company that will be formed that will uh, will do all the things they're talking about um, in terms of providing in terms of providing a uh, um, a social media platform for sort of the to the right uh, and allowing others to bypass the likes of, of platforms that at least certainly many uh, on that side say have not been fair. Um, but there's nothing there. Uh, there was no pipe for this company, uh, which we typically see. They did the deal, I think, almost only 47 or so days after it went public, which is a very short timeline to announce the transaction. There was no projections uh, in the actual presentation. There was no call. You know, typically we might get a, a call. You may have heard about a number of hedge funds who made an enormous amount of money here because when this company went public, and this is something that's been going on in the SPAC market, um, the underwriters uh, are lining up buyers of the IPO, particularly for those that they feel may be in some jeopardy of not getting sold. And those buyers, typically hedge funds, will buy as much as a guaranteed 9.9% purchase. They'll get a piece of the GP. Uh, they, they are getting uh, warrants. They are uh, also topping up the trust so that it's not just 10 bucks; it might be 10, 20. 
So essentially, from the hedge fund's perspective, you're protected. You're getting a small return. Remember the two-year time period. Typically, SPACs have to do a deal. Either you're going to get your money back by then or perhaps even sooner if you want to redeem uh, on deal announcement. And there's always a chance that you're going to find gold. And that's what happened here. Many of those funds selling out with a easily a 10-bagger in no time. Pretty incredible. And then it can become self-reinforcing. The fact that this company now is accorded a market value pro forma, let's call it around $20 billion, if and when when the deal is actually uh, when despacked, um, let's call it around $20 billion. But right now you're still dealing with, what, $35 million or so shares, so you can move it a lot on a little. Uh, but it can create its own self-fulfilling prophecy because they're going to be able to sell stock at far higher prices to potentially fund a business model sure. that they're talking about in their presentation. Absolutely. Um, what is fascinating is it just had this furious ramp, you know, late last week uh, to the point where I think wasn't the high in the 170s. Um, I mean, yeah. I think it's it's I've already. One, I've got a 175 yeah. high. Yeah. Um, so it's still just kind of, you know, finding finding its level. It's obviously uh, we were talking last week about how it took taking this a little bit of the steam out of the traditional, so to speak, meme stocks, um, you know, which have been under pressure. AMC well, and GameStop. 175 was that. Yeah. But one thing it has done, Mike, is reinvigorated to a certain extent the SPAC market. You know, there was a period where we were saying it's mostly dead, but just like in The Princess Bride, it came back to life. Well, it has here, too. And even before we saw this deal announced, uh, you had an increase in SPAC IPOs in October. Uh, I got some of the numbers for you. I mean, last week there were 14 new SPAC, uh, SPACs filed, uh, 18 IPOs. October overall, 31 filings and 43 IPOs. So, they're still coming, yeah. and they're all still looking for deals, and they're all still hoping they can find something like this where, you know, you can just put down on paper your intent. Uh, obviously, um, the Trump name has gone very far to create an enormous amount of short-term value. We'll see where things settle out, to your point. And the hedge funds are doing this essentially perhaps just kind of seeding a lot of these deals. Yes, and that's just saying exactly right. Some of them are going to hit. Some of them will hit, and if they don't, I really have very little downside. In fact, I might have a 2 to 3% annualized return, particularly when they top up the trust a little bit. So it's 10.20 or $10.30, not to mention the warrants and a piece of the GP. And then every so often you get hit because you, they announce a deal that the market loves. Obviously, that is the case here. Um, it's early days. As I said, there's, noth- there's no business here. <laughs> As of yet, there's just the idea of them creating the business exactly. down the road. See if they manage to um, do that. But uh, SPACs, we'll keep an eye on them uh, because it is still alive and kicking a little bit more this week than, uh, or last week than it had been for a while. Yeah. A couple of reopening themes working today. Uh, one is IMAX, uh, best October on record, as we continue to see some of these theatrical releases get some traction uh, at the box office. Um, the White House is expected to... Uh, expand on the reopening of borders beginning November 8th to international travelers. On that point, watch the cruise lines. City today initiates uh, both. Uh, they, they initiate Norwegian with a buy, and they cut Carnival uh, to neutral. We see momentum building in the cruise industry, full, fl- full fleet sailing by next summer, uh, but especially for high-end brands, they say, Mike. Uh, proprietary survey of consumers and cruise agents is also supportive. By the way, we're also looking for, there's a piece on NBC News today that the White House is going to work on expanding access to at-home COVID tests, which is something that would ostensibly make people a little more comfortable about travel. Absolutely. I think 
all the kind of inputs are in the in the right direction right now. I did see some data on you know the kayak searches for travel have also perked up a little bit. So um, it's working. The what the question is whether it translates market wise. You know if that's really where uh, people think there's going to be the big swing factor for uh, for outperformance. I mean I think that the you know they the cruise lines the the airlines have actually been pretty weak relative to. You know, the Dow Transports have been on a great run. It has nothing to do with airlines, certainly not the cruises either. Uh, so it's, it seems as if more of a, of a commercial uh, comeback story and services story. The, uh, the cruise lines just raised too much capital probably at the highs, I mean, at the, at, at the, at the depths, uh, t- to necessarily make them big engines of, of comeback. But for consumer behavior, it's good news. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned people. the transports, by the way, beating the, the Dow Jones overall for the last, yeah. what, three months. Yes, Still not, you know, it's, I, I think still working below the, the ultimate highs in the transports, but it's had a huge comeback. It's truckers and rails for the most part, and the logistics company, the, uh, the, the carriers, uh, UPS and FedEx. Have Carl, been, on, you know, on, mostly on, UPS. on COVID, it is important to point out hospitalizations, I think, down, what, 52% from Almost the September cut highs. Yeah. And testing, to your point, a very important component if you do, as hope and expected, we get the approval from Molnupiravir from Merck, you have that antiviral available, widespread testing, the ability to know if you've got the, the virus and therefore be able to treat it very quickly is the key. Yeah. And, all, and also, just given the general assumption that mostly we're done locking down. I mean, this doesn't seem like going into the winter that, you know, it's better to have the at-home test to, to have another layer sure. of certainty. By the way, uh, we also got Moderna data this morning on kids 5 to 11, pretty much matching the numbers that we got out of Pfizer. Um, <laughs> I had to laugh at Weekend Update uh, over the weekend on Saturday Night Live where Colin Joe said on the mix and match, when's the last time you went to your doctor? And they said, ah, mix and match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's Whatever sort of where we are. Get. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, we'll keep our eye on all of that, uh, obviously. Uh, the other one, uh, maybe some initiations on Warby. Uh, Goldman out with the buy, initiates, Cowan initiates, outperform, um, 72 target on, uh, from Goldman, high growth omnichannel brand with exposure to the structurally growing vision care market. I think I saw you looking at this earlier today, Mike. What's that? Yeah, I think I saw you looking at this earlier today, the Warby initiations. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's just too, it's expensive. And that's, I think, that the, the, the first observation is it already builds in a lot of expectation for what the, uh, what the company's going to be able to do market-wise. Interesting little wrinkle of, uh, you know, big question as to whether we have vision care benefits and whether Warby Parker is going to have the, the partnerships to exploit those things. I did see, you know, one of the initiations was, well, free cash flow is going to start to build once they get... Uh, the, the physical stores open to a certain level starting in 2025. So I think that's what it is. It's like a great brand, disruptor, going to be taking market share for a long time to come. It's a good model, but super expensive. You've got to decide if it's worth it at this level. Right. So we opened the bell, and we were, we were about four points from an all-time record close on the S&P, but we settled back four points. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. It's open really right near highs, but uh, we've really flattened out in the last five minutes or so. Let's just take a look at the sectors. The key story is the market leaders for the month, which are banks and energy stocks, remain up there. Remember, oil's up around $84. Tech's holding in there. Semiconductors are pretty strong this morning. And once again, and this has happened all month, the defensive names, consumer staples and healthcare, have been uh, on the weaker side. Consumer staples have had issues with the supply chains, of course. Uh, as for earnings season, we'll be halfway through on Friday. 
believe it or not. Uh, there's three major issues everyone's talking about. One, of course, is supply chain sentiment and whether or not those concerns have topped out or not, interestingly. Secondly, earnings growth flattening. We talked about that last week. And finally, the notable underperformance of some tech bellwethers on their reports last week. That's got people a little bit concerned right now. I just want to bring up what Kimberly Clark had to say, because this is one of those big consumer names that obviously has issues with higher prices and supply chain issues. This is what the CEO said this morning. Our earnings were negatively impacted by significant inflation and supply chain disruptions that increased our costs beyond what we anticipated. We are taking further action, including additional pricing and enhanced enhanced cost management to mitigate those headwinds as it's becoming clear they are not likely to be resolved quickly. So there's your inflation for longer story. That's been another sub-theme that we've seen. Kimberly Clark, believe it or not, the only company S&P 500 at a 52-week low today. Obviously, still an issue, but the important thing is we're seeing not dramatic earnings margins erosion overall. With some companies, obviously, it's a little bit of an issue like Kimberly Clark, but overall, earnings margins are holding up pretty, pretty well, and that's one reason we're seeing the S&P hold up so well. If you look at, for example, sectors, consumer staples would be the most impacted by these supply concerns, some industrials as well, and yet look at the market this week, this month. Obviously, banks have been doing better. Uh, industrials have held up. Consumer staples are underperforming slightly, but not dramatically. So we're seeing some concerns in consumer staples, obviously, about pricing and margin erosion, but it's not dramatic, and it's not preventing the market from moving forward overall. Elsewhere, earnings flattening. I've said this many times. This is happening again this week. Today, we're having earnings estimates at 22.8% for the fourth quarter, and that's what matters, fourth quarter. It was 21% just a few weeks ago. That's pretty flat. Considering what's happened earlier in the year, where we had big increases as soon as earnings came out, this is now flattening out, and we need to see these numbers go up because the S&P is at a new high, essentially. You keep going up. You've got to have some earnings power behind it. That divergence is a little bit of a problem for the market. The other big problem is the tech bellwethers that reported last week. I mean, my heavens, Snap, IBM, Intel's down 10 percent since the numbers came out. These are big, big companies. Snap's not so much, but IBM and Intel is. So obviously everyone's a little bit concerned about whether tech will dramatically outperform during this earnings season. If that happens, of course, Carl, you're going to have a lot of companies having to make up with some dramatic announcements, particularly things like industrials and materials. We'll see what happens there halfway through on Friday. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, i got to get there first. Uh, Bob Pisani, still to come, uh, the parent of Burger King, Tim Hortons, and Popeyes out with quarterly results. Where do COVID supply chain issues and labor pressures fit into the picture? We'll talk to the CEO of Restaurant Brands. We mentioned a lot of the macro data that's headed our way. We'll get uh, conference board, durables, but the big two are GDP Thursday and core PCE Friday right now, 10 year, just south of 163. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. I wouldn't call that a wealth tax, but um, it would help get at uh, capital gains, which um, are an extraordinarily large part of the incomes of the wealthiest individuals. And uh, right now, uh, escape taxation uh, until they're realized and often they're unrealized and at death uh, benefit from uh, so-called step-up of basis. So it's not a wealth tax, but um, a tax on unrealized capital gains of exceptionally wealthy individuals. On CNN yesterday, talking about her proposal to tax billionaires, it does sound, uh, Mike, like that's one area where there's, there 
managing to get a little bit of agreement with the likes of at least Senator Manchin. And a lot of the reporting revolves around the idea that Democrats see this as being a long-term political winner. A political winner and, um, and, and maybe a less organized opposition to it. Because the corporate tax rate, it was considered a foregone conclusion. Like, I think the betting odds were like 75% a few months ago there was going to be a corporate tax increase. Now that's down to much lower than, than a 50-50 proposition. Uh, whereas it just seems like there's a lot of uh, very narrow group, tremendous amount of, uh, of wealth for all the logistical issues and estimating it. Maybe try it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Not a a big lobbying group of a thousand richest people (laughs) in the country. That said, I'm still not quite sure how it works. Um, It seems somewhat unworkable still since we had talked about this as a possibility for some time. And the aggregate revenue is probably not that much. You know, that's the whole thing. Yeah. I think they're thinking is it's not zero. That's right. (laughs) For sure. Uh, We'll take a break. Uh, Some moderate losses here to start a Monday morning down 28. Don't go away. truck wars are heating up, and it's not just about Ford's F-150 Lightning and Tesla. Phil LeBeau joins us with a look at Rivian's electric pickup and whether it lives up to the hype. Hey, Phil. Hey, Mike. The R1T is a vehicle that a lot of people have been looking at and saying, wow, what's this going to be all about? RJ Scarin's Rivian company, which has filed for an IPO, has quietly begun deliveries of the R1T. Now, they've got almost 50,000 of these that have been ordered so far. We had a chance to drive it last week uh, here in Chicago, and it delivers the performance that they said that they were going to give us, which we'll talk about the specifications in just a little bit. It starts at $67,500, but when you look at the R1T, Keep in mind, this is really the beginning of what will be a slew of electric trucks that are going to be coming out over the next couple of years. And this electric truck battle, you've got the R1T from Rivian, the F-150 Lightning with those deliveries starting early next year, maybe the first half of next year. We put in the Hummer SUT because while it's not a traditional pickup truck, it is a truck. It does have a bed there. Those deliveries start later this year. And then, of course, the Tesla Cybertruck. And we expect those deliveries late next year. As for the specifications on the R1T from Rivian, 800 plus horsepower, 0 to 60 in 3 seconds with a range of 315 miles. And while we don't show it here, guys, there is this pull-out camp feature where you can basically pull out a grill and cook with it. It's one of the cooler features on the vehicle. Take a look at shares of Tesla, GM, and Ford. We can't show you our uh, Rivian because Rivian's IPO has not happened yet. We expect that a little bit later on this year. And, of course, Tesla moving higher, guys, because of that note from Adam Jonas and Morgan Stanley raising the price target to $1,200. Guys, back to you. All right, Phil, thanks so much. That's our Phil LeBeau. When we come back, uh, Roger McNamee on all things Facebook as the Dow is wavering between uh, gains and losses. By the way, Tesla has just surpassed Facebook to become the fifth largest company in the U.S. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.